0: Visit iconnections.io. In the continuing theme of "You asked for it, you got it," well, we brought in Tom Lee to talk his bullish thesis on the broader market. Now we're bringing in Ben Callow, noted Tesla bull of R.W. Baird, for this bonus episode of On the Tape with Dan Nathan, Danny Moses, and yours
1: truly. We brought the big guns in because we have an old friend of ours. His name is Ben Callow. He covers sustainable energy and mobility over at RW Baird. He has been a longtime bull on Tesla. Uh, He also covers the space and has some big, broad thesis in the space as it relates to sustainable energy. So we're going to hit some other names other than Tesla. But Ben, welcome back to our Rich Versal Media Podcast Network.
2: Well, thank you, Dan. Uh, and thank you, uh, Guy. And thank you, Danny. Uh, happy to be here uh, after a long time. And good to see all of you guys. All right, man.
1: Well, let's get into it. Tesla held this investor day a couple of weeks ago. It was widely anticipated. It started a little bit late for whatever reasons. I, you know, I think a lot of investors were really excited about the potential for maybe some new vehicle announcements. They didn't get it. They got some big sheets that had something maybe metal underneath them that maybe moves at some way, shape or form. But they didn't get that they did have a whole host of the executive team with Elon. There was a lot of big ideas about what they're going to do within the sustainable energy space. So it looked like something broadening it out away from EVs a little bit. We just wanted to kind of get your impressions there. Um, were you disappointed? I know that you reiterated your outperform rating. Did you get a little bit of what you wanted? And you know, did it make the story a bit clearer, especially at a time where I think a lot of investors are kind of left scratching their heads with. A whole host of issues as it relates to just you know
2: valuation
1: where the stock has been and where it's going
2: you know first of all living in san francisco for a long time being able to tour the numi facility maybe 50 plus times and that's the fremont facility that tesla bought from numi and seeing the difference of the austin factory i haven't been to berlin i haven't been to shanghai it's a remarkable difference in how they've built the factory from the ground up versus the factory they bought from Numi and had to kind of squeeze into it, if we put it that way, which is not the most efficient thing. And the the thing about Austin, I think, that is overlooked is that it should be the highest margin factory, and that's going to be here in the United States, obviously, in Texas, even higher margin than Austin. This is kind of how they've learned from Fremont and the the Gigafactory 1 in Nevada. And move that, those learnings to Shanghai, then to Berlin, then to Austin. And I think that, uh, you know, as you, as, you know, we toured the, the factory, the big theme was reducing costs, increasing efficiency. And I think that, uh, you know, that will be replicated. They did announce the factory in Mexico, you know, going into it, you know, you kind of danged if you do and danged if you don't by showing a new vehicle. Musk gets probably for right a lot of flack about not bringing like the Cybertruck, for example. It was announced four years ago, and they're going to start production on low volumes at the second half of this year. And so, the fact that they didn't, you know, showcase a new car, I can understand why. Especially uh, in addition to having the you know the time to to. it to production but also maybe that chips off some demand too and you know that's a big question you know as we entered into this year about demand especially with the the economic backdrop that we have
3: ben were you expecting kind of the 150 to 175 billion dollar guidance in capex i'm not sure how much of that is obviously in your model over the next kind of six or seven years i realize you probably don't model out that far but more importantly just seems to me when you see numbers like that from evaluation perspective, you know, it lends itself more to an industrial, right, to an auto manufacturer, in my opinion, more than kind of this robo taxi kind of tech dream. So, how do you kind of marry that? They can't finance this obviously from just profit. So, how do you expect them to kind of come up with this money over that six seven year period of time?
2: A couple of things, uh, and, it's, and it's a, a great question, uh, Danny. You know, they're spending this call seven billion dollars in capex. Plus, uh, call just you know, around about three billion dollars in R and D. So ten billion dollars. This is a big topic about capital allocation because Musk has said, you know, we can't spend capital any faster. You know, outside of doing acquisitions, uh, still, you know, free cash flow positive uh, in in twenty two balance sheet with twenty two billion dollars on it and not really any debt. So they're in a good in good shape with that. Can they can they finance it from just the balance sheet? I think so. You know, they can go out to uh, you know the debt markets if need needed, you know in the longer term. We did get an announcement from from VW just in the last you know twenty four forty eight hours about you know their plans to spend a roundabout number of uh, one hundred seventy eight billion dollars as well. I look at the two companies I want to how they finance it more than how Tesla finances it. The
0: cult of personality around Elon Musk, and by the way, welcome. You are the original BK, by the way, just for clarity's sake. But the cult of personality around him is obviously significant. And through the lens that I look at, it seems as though he's toned down things just a bit. I would submit, obviously, he's still incredibly important to Tesla, but is he as important today as he was, let's say, five years ago? Or would Tesla be able to move on if, in fact, he stepped down or
2: he made moves within the C-suite? Key person risk, key man risk, number one thing. I was watching a video of Danny on Fast Money with you guys last year. When he was short the stock. And it was a good call, Danny. You talked about... The brand being so important and i remember writing a report back in 2013 about the brand and i think that uh, what we've seen uh, from some surveys recently is it hasn't been disrupted but he creates a you know significant noise with with twitter with espousing his political views i think at the end of the day you know consumers are going to spend 45, 55, 60,000, $100,000 on a car. are going to buy the best car that they're going to buy, regardless of the person's political views. But he is still the number one person there. And there are people that, you know, invest because of him. I think that we got some churn in retail investors from them not liking, you know, his political views. And you probably, you know, lost some customers because of that, probably also gained some customers from that as well. I You know, it's above my pay grade to, to tell him to be quiet, the success he's had across, you know, several different companies. I think that one thing at Investor Day that was showcased is there are other people there. He doesn't like that format of talking to investors. It looked like he had like some back pain or something when I was sitting up there looking at him. And it was interesting that he did a conference at Morgan Stanley, you know, a couple days later mostly about Twitter. I imagine that's someone got him to do that because they helped finance the Twitter buyout. It was an interesting 45 minutes with him at the Morgan Stanley, but at Investor Day, it's not really his venue or with investors. And sometimes the questions annoy him, but that's part of being a public company, I think.
1: Let's bring it to the stock for a second here. Okay. So 560 billion market cap company, it was 1.2 trillion at its highs in late 2021 before Elon started selling stock fairly aggressively all throughout last year, obviously, the, the finance a bit of that Twitter deal. When I look at this story, right, and, and it really was about margin expansion, especially relative to its auto peers, a lot of investors willing to assign a valuation to a company that they said is not a car company. And it was also a, a, a margin story, right? And so when you think about their margins relative to their peers, when I look at 2023 consensus estimates on fact set, I'm looking at 25% expected sales growth with earnings per share expected to be down a couple percent or so. When I think about the margin impact from 25 and a half or so last year in 2022 to expected 22 or so this year, I say to myself, okay, they've had two meaningful price cuts on some very important you know, lines of their cars, right? We know that there's issues as far as there's been shutdowns in, in Shanghai and, and, and who knows if, if we have those sorts of things. Again, I'm just curious, like, what would the stock, in your opinion, again, you rate the stock and outperform, but like if there was another round of price cuts, and make no mistake about it, what's going on with this Silicon Valley Bank? You know, we just talked a little bit about from a brand standpoint. You just said that you think people will continue to pay 45, 80, 135, whatever it is, the high end plaid, you know, for the best. EV. I'm not sure that's their cars anymore. And I'm not sure that the Silicon Valley folk who have been huge supporters of the story, but also of the product are going to be there the way they were in the last couple of years. So I'm just curious, again, I know this is a long winded way of asking It really feels like these EPS expected declines this year and margin declines, this could be just getting started a little bit in what could be a tough year because everything that's gone on, in my opinion, over the last, call it, few months really speaks to a recession that's coming here and possibly abroad in the next six to nine months.
2: Going into 23, as the stock came down, uh, the street just revised their numbers. I did. We we slashed them. uh, We cut uh, volumes we cut margin, um, obviously that leads to cuts in earnings. Uh, we have earnings up by two pennies from four hundred seven to four hundred nine. I think then we got into the to the first of the year, and so we started China two cuts there, massive cut in the U.S. on prices. Now this was you know coming after in the last two years, all they did was raise prices. They, they did it several times. Um, it, not sure it got as much attention as the price cuts. Now, what we've seen, the sentiment or the narrative, even from my sell-side brethren, you'll know, have sells, underperforms in the stock, change the message from, oh, gosh, there's a demand issue to when you have the industry leading operating margins out there highest in the industry you can cut price and you can have this price war and so that changed the tone of what tesla is doing now to the financials what's happened since then is we've seen an uptick in in volume purchases across i think all regions china you know just the you know, numbers coming out there for february looked very good the y was the leading electric vehicle by sales. The three was just behind BYD vehicle. I think that what we've seen out of Europe, uh, very good sales. And then the U.S., you know, as the Inflation Reduction Act and, you know, the credit for consumers is kicked in that sales have ticked up here. And so we, you know, we enter the year with all of us slashing numbers. It got calibrated. Now, I think the numbers you know, revisions are likely going to the upside here. And a couple of things on margin that will help out. What, you know, Chessa says publicly is that everything outside of lithium they've seen Uh, deflation in number one number two you're gonna have the factories the three factories i I say three so i say berlin austin and then their cell factory those becoming a tailwind instead of a headwind so becoming margin accretive and that will start happening in the the second quarter and in in the back half of the year you do have full self-driving uh, you know, we, we can talk about that at length, probably too long for, for you guys to want to listen to me. But, uh, you know, that kicking in the way that they recognize that revenue, which should be a margin boost as well. And then uh, you do have improvements in just uh, overall manufacturing, the way that they do die casting, the injection molding. Saves on you know the number of welds you need, and how they you know are going to do the difference in their battery packs, saving you know, and it's kind of taking out costs everywhere. And I think that was a theme at the analyst day is getting to this scale of 20 million cars. What you have to do in terms of supply chain as well as reducing costs overall in the vehicle. And so, you know, Q1 is going to have, you know, you're going to hit a a margin uh, hit because of those price cuts. But I do think the numbers are probably calibrated too low for the whole year.
1: 20 million cars. There's never been a car company in the history of the automobile business that's delivered 20 million cars in a year. What gives you confidence by 2030, let alone 2040, this company will ever be able to do that. Because again, the history of Tesla, you know, since I've been following it, and you've been covering it, obviously, much more closely than I has been massive over promising and under delivering. And when we just talked about back to Danny's question about working in that capex on the other side of that versus just very, very lofty projections, the assumption that the incumbents who are the ones that actually deliver the bulk of the global auto share right now and have a huge vested interest, right, in in defending their market share as everybody moves to EVs. I just don't, I, I feel like when I look at this story, I feel like Tesla has so much more to lose actually than the incumbents. When you think about it, when they give their targets about moving their production to primarily EV by a certain time, right? Versus Tesla over promising like something greater than the entire auto market delivers in a year right now. I feel like they have the most to lose, not the incumbents. And I think that's what the market is getting wrong. That's my personal view. I'm just curious what you think about that because you, you and your, you know, sell side research brethren, do you guys massively discount those expectations for
2: deliveries? We do. And just back on valuation, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, I get this, you know, it's a $572 billion market cap company. But just, you know, let's talk about it just on, a, on a PE level. So my number for 26 is $8.90. Let's say that I'm conservative, like you said, on, on volumes. This is one of the, the things that I think, you know, you, you should buy the stock for, too is I think volumes are going to be revised upwards. The street has come in too aggressively to the downside. And, you know, they talk about a 50% growth rate, you know, over time each year, you know, Kager. Uh, But let's just say it's $10, so train it 18 times. It's growing top line. No other auto company, um, Ferrari maybe, growing top line. Better margins than any auto company, except for maybe Ferrari. And they have all this other stuff going on but growing very rapidly, it will be you know, more important as this year and next year too. You know, it's going to start reaching, you know, over ten percent. I do think that you have a situation where you know twenty million units. No one believes that, um, and so I don't know if uh, that's actually that's not priced into the stock at all. But I do think that they've given a better pathway than anyone else that we're talking about. You know, I don't want to pick on anyone, but. Uh, you know you name it and we're talking about fifty thousand 100,000, hundred thousand fifty thousand units outside of the Chinese manufacturers and some others and so one of the things that we give you know the musk discount of two or three years you know I don't think that we rewound when I first met you guys ten years ago if we would have thought there'd be we trying to get to two million cars this year <laughs>
0: Visit iConnections.io.
3: To the faith in Musk, people give him benefit of the doubt. I mean, at this point, the people that still kind of believe in him, I guess, will always believe in him. But the comment you made on full self-driving, there is no full self-driving, obviously, and recall was just issued. And I'm not going to go into how they're going to have to account for that or at all, but I want to conjoin that with kind of the robo taxi promise and the comment that you made about price cutting. The whole idea, and it wasn't just Elon Musk, it was Kathy Wood as well about, oh, we're going to have these robo taxis which obviously will depend on full self driving, which means the value of your car will actually go higher, right? That's been kind of a theory. And that has kind of all unwound here to a degree. And, and so I just want to go back to that. And then my second question is just China risk in general. Forget about Volkswagen's intent to actually go after china market right just the chinese geopolitical risk as you see a very large american company
2: in china obviously very topical I, i'm more meat and potato you know take a look at me than uh the of my brother and, and kathy wooder so we don't include any robo tax in our valuation i think that it's is interesting when you think about it that you can sell you guys you know being in new york probably get into a uber or a cab that's a, a tesla and you know i i often quiz these guys about you know if they have which did they buy you know the autopilot or full self driving i'm surprised and this is all anecdotal by the number of people that buy full self-driving and we estimate it's about 18 percent of north america people buying things but buying something for fifteen thousand dollars or on a subscription basis it's not full self-driving yet uh continues to progress they continue to make changes they've made changes you know where they you know, had radar and cameras and they said, we don't need a radar, ripped out the radar. And now they're going back to having a radar. They've lost team members, they've replaced team members. And I think it's just interesting from an outside perspective that they're able to sell something to people that it's not full self-driving, but people buy it. So on China, it's a risk. They addressed it at Analyst Day. I think that what we saw them, you know, with the announcement of the factory in Mexico They don't want to put another facility factory in China yet. They're likely going to announce another factory somewhere else in Asia and not in China. And I think that if we've rewound a couple of years ago, you know, Musk would say that they would have several factories in China by this time. And I think that this has slowed them down. And so it's something definitely we keep an eye on.
0: We've known each other a long time. Question for you. When did you start covering Tesla, the stock? 2011. At $180 at current levels, and you've been pretty steadfast over that last 12 or so years, I mean, it's probably, what, a 15-bagger or so, and and you've been on this story longer and probably smarter than anyone. Here's my question to you, though, and this is somewhat a snapshot of time. From October of 2021 into November, when the stock was north of $400, that moved down to 102 ish although we bounced along the way, was pretty painful. Understanding, though, over the course of its history, the stock has still done extraordinarily well. As an analyst, how do you navigate that? Michael Pachter for years was negative in Netflix and the stock would just continue to move higher. His thesis wound up being correct. It took time. How do you deal with a move of that magnitude, understanding that fundamentally you have the story right, but the market is telling a much different one?
2: It's a good question. That's why I paused because I, I I think that you know it it, it, it puts a pit in, in, in my stomach. And I remember going from before all the splits from two eighty to to one seventy and being on vacation. I'm just looking at you know the stock every second of the day. And you know I remember you know coming back to some fundamentals of what I know and things you know how the new factories are you know, our margin accretive and you know those fundamentals. But I think more importantly is you know talking to to clients and, and I have the benefit of you know incoming calls and what people are asking and you know what was occurring during that time and is still occurring and I, and I think so driving this, the stock prices. You have institutional clients that don't own it and they've avoided it like the plague. And their benchmark against the SP 500 and as the stock started dropping, my call volume started going up because they're you know they're basically short synthetically short the stock. You know as they started sniffing around, I realized you know how underowned it is. And now as the stock moves up, the people that didn't buy it and that were doing like Tesla 101s and it's amazing that you do that after you know 10 years in this 500 billion plus market cap company. But the fact that you're still doing 101s on this and now I think there's a the FOMO. Uh, that's you know the, the generation below me fear of missing out but you know people trying to that didn't buy it you know to cover in their benchmark that are still trying to chase it and pick their spots and, and so it being on your own I think balance sheet I think and actually living through you know the 420 funding secured and Elon you know calling the guy a pedo. All of that stuff, as painful as it was, it helped me learn to you know, kind of tune out some of the noise.
1: Well, it's funny, you know, we're, from where we sit, and, and again, Guy and myself on Fast Money and and Danny and Guy and myself doing the pods, it's a battle that's going on. You know, we see it. We see it in our tweets. We see it in our emails. We just see it in lots of comments. It's just a battleground stock for retail. So it's always interesting to hear someone like yourself who talks to a lot of institutional players, kind of the questions that they're giving you. You know, I think we talked about this last time you run the pod. I mean, in my career in 25 years, I've just never seen a cult leader of a publicly traded company like a guy like Elon, who makes it out of a period kind of unscathed here. And you just mentioned a couple of those things. I mean, 420 and the pedo stuff, those seem like a distant memory. And, And now I feel like when you think about him not only being the CEO of Tesla, of SpaceX, of Neuralink, of Twitter of the boring company like this is not a sustainable path for a company that's made a lot of lofty sort of projections which has gotten you know a cult-like following in the investment community and the point that i would just make is and you just said it ben i mean he's got people paying ten dollars or $15,000 for a product on a car that's already much more expensive than many of its peers that doesn't even work, NHTSA has just recalled. You know what I mean? So like to me, there's more shoes to drop, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of people who do far more rigorous financial work into this company and some obviously on the other side of this trade who think there's some shenanigans going on there. But again, we'll, we'll see what happens here. But listen, we really appreciate all of that. We appreciate you taking our lobbies here. Um, we wanna hit you on the rest of your space really briefly. And again, it must feel very odd to you that probably Tesla in your universe is 90% of the market cap, but you do cover a lot of other names in the sustainable energy space here. Talk to us a little bit about your broader thesis away from Tesla and maybe a couple of the names that you really like that our listeners should take a look into?
2: One of the things that I think we've learned from Tesla, I've learned from Tesla, investors have learned from Tesla is how difficult it is to ramp production. We've seen it with the F-150 most recently, but we've seen it with the Rivian, now perform on Rivian I, I like the consumer vehicles. I like their uh, electric uh, delivery van. It takes a lot of capital. It takes a lot of time. And the other OEMs, uh, we've seen it from you know, companies I don't cover, like Fisker, or we've seen it from others that you know, just the the the, the rough ramp in production. It, it's not just the startups. It's OEMs, and so. I think the big OEMs, for the most part, with some exceptions, are going to have a difficult time you know, changing their business uh, into electric vehicles and, and doing it quickly. And and we've seen, you know, we've been talking about competition for a long time and they haven't really done it. It's taken 10 years for them to wake up and start moving in this direction. So that's the number one takeaway. Number two is you know, the material supply chain we've seen. You know, companies from Tesla to GM to Volkswagen to others move in to materials from lithium to rare earths. So I cover stock uh, MP materials. I covered the predecessor, Molly Corp. There's a mine out in California, a rare earth mine. These rare earths go into permanent magnets that go into permanent magnet motors. You know tesla analyst day so today we, we designed a new motor a the motor doesn't use any rares." i get on my morning call and talk about tesla and analyst day and you know what no one cared about that they all cared about mp materials you know gapping down 10 percent. you know i, I rated it and outperform i think you know what tesla will patent this i suspect if they're able to do it and that leaves the rest of the auto industry and the wind turbine industry but i think materials is an area for investors to focus on, because you know it is uh, you know something that I think was a big part of the Tesla presentation on how to scale the twenty million units. It's going to take you know more lithium conversion facility. I cover Albemarle. I have a neutral on it, but you know they they have the largest scale there. The you know, lithium prices have like you know, just gone up to the right with you know a, a recent little hiccup. And the the tough part of it is that regardless of whether Albemarle has, you know, long-term contracts, you know, it's going to trade with lithium prices. But if I was going to invest in lithium, uh, that's the the one company I would invest in. I think the other thing that's important is that, you know, with the Inflation Reduction Act, we used to have, you know, energy policy. It's been a long time since we've had a, a comprehensive energy policy. But this takes away a significant overhang in the solar industry about you know, when tax credits are going to get extended or if they're not going to get extended. Uh, we like first solar and that it's had a big run on it on the inflation reduction act, but I think it still has uh, room to go higher because you know they're differentiated. And as we talk about China and risk, this is a one solar company that doesn't have their supply chain moving through China. And so when you know their customers, the Dukes, the southern companies, the next terrors of the world, are going to build big solar utility plants. They're going to turn to first solar. They have turned to first solar. And these guys are booked out through 2026 with some orders in you know, 28 to 29. And only two times in my career have I seen uh, solar panel ASPs actually go up. It's happening right now for first solar. Some catalysts ahead there. And those are the two stocks I'd highlight. There's a scarcity
3: of water, there's infrastructure that needs to be done. Can you just go over that? thesis a little bit. I think your top pick there is WTRG, if I'm not mistaken.
2: I don't cover American water. Um, It's the largest. uh, I covered it in the past. It's an easy way for people to get exposure to water utilities. I cover some smaller ones, Millsex water, which is primarily in New Jersey and some in Delaware. You know, small cap WTRG you know, went and bought People's Gas, which is a, a gas distribution business in Pennsylvania. There's a short report on recently. These are good stocks, water utility stocks, primarily for a market like this, even with rising interest rates. They've got clipped on that, but you know, the, uh, like American Water, for example, typically targets seven to 10% earnings growth per year. And they're a regulated utility. And so they go out and they'll put pipes in the ground. Uh, and, you know, earn a return on it. You know, California Water, this company I've covered, great management. It's a a very tough operating environment in California, but people want to own this stock because, uh, you know, it's a... It's a rare asset of pure play in California, primarily.
1: Well, thanks, Ben Callow. We really appreciate you coming on and laying out your bullish thesis for Tesla, giving us a little update on what you thought went on at that investor day and giving us a little take on your space in general. So thanks a lot, Ben. Thank you, guys.
0: Thanks again to our presenting sponsors, CME Group, iConnections, and FactSet.